I had this Sony Walkman, one of the real new high-tech ones, and they also bought me, shit, you know, this, this bag, kind of this bum bag that you could clip around your waist that held the Sony Walkman in it. So I'd have my Sony Walkman with some CDs in it, like, on my waist, and I'd listen to it and I'd go rollerblading with it. <laughs> really? I did this till I was, like, probably, like, 13 or 14 years old. Like, I wasn't cool. Despite what she says, Sarah Sykes is one of the coolest people making waves in Aussie music right now. G'day, I'm Holly Douse-Robinson, and welcome to Notes From Home, where we have a beer with your favourite local musos and the people that raised them. Having taken Sydney by storm, Sunscreen are set to take on Australia with their own brand of introspective pop rock. We clink glasses with Sarah and her delightful mum, Kerry, to chat about growing up in Newey and making the swap to the big smoke of Sydney. These are her notes from home. My name's Sarah Sykes. I was born in Newcastle. I moved to Sydney about four years ago and I joined a band called Flower Truck years later, I started another band called Sunscreen. My childhood was pretty idealistic. I mean, it was it was really nice. I feel like everything was close. I, as a child, I felt like the whole world was within one or two suburbs. And obviously, as a kid, you know, everything seems bigger than it is. And you go back now and you go, oh, God, it's so, it's all so small. But everything I kind of envisioned myself doing when I was a child, it all, it was all still in Newcastle, you know? I was born in this house that was, like, right on the beach in Newcastle East. So I'd go to the beach a lot. My mum's a drama teacher and an actor. And my, my dad's a sound engineer, so I suppose I was exposed to, like, um, the performing arts. But it was very very sweet and relatively stress-free. My name is Kerry O'Hearn and I'm a very proud mother of Sarah Beth Possum. (laughs) I live in Stockton. Which is in Newcastle. Yes, North Shore. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the harbour, actually. You hear the ships come in and out. When Sarah was born, we lived in Newcastle East, so you could hear the ocean all the time. Nature's lullaby. She was a very alert baby. He <laughs> didn't want to sleep. So, you know, at dawn, I'd often take her in the pram along the breakwater and along the beaches, and that got her to sleep. So she spent her first few years listening to the ocean, and then when she could walk, running along the beach <laughs> towards dogs. <laughs> Sarah's dad is an audio engineer. And he was often away on tour. And, um, you know, we're friends now, but we just choose to live separately. And that's good. I remember being really young and he'd do outdoor gigs in the Newcastle foreshore. I think he did sound for this band called the Screaming Jets that were huge in Newcastle in the 80s. And I remember going and sitting behind the sound desk with him and watching him kind of twist all the knobs and chew chewing gum and smoke a cigarette and like do sound for the bands and yeah it was really exciting and I'd also drive around in his big audio trucks with him sometimes. He used to do sound for like yearly events like carols by candlelight in the park and things like that but um I remember when I was about 12 years old he got me into the Veronica's Newcastle Entertainment Centre and that was just giant. 
And Delta Goodrum as well, when I was even younger. And I took my friend and it just, you know, it was very exciting. My mum's an actress, so all throughout my childhood, until I was kind of a teenager, she would be in live theatre productions. I remember going as a kid at night to rehearsals with her and just hanging out. There was this little theatre in Newcastle called The Playhouse, kind of next to the Civic Theatre. She came with me, of course. So much so that um, eventually our director said, look, let's put her in one of the plays. <laughs> so we did. And it was great. She was really good. <laughs> you were about seven or eight or something. There was a lounge behind the big sky cloth or the scrim. So she'd go to sleep after her bit and then curtain call. Come on, wake up. So she'd stagger out and we'd all take a bow. What was my role? Oh, we did this feminist interpretation of King Lear yeah. <laughs> as a woman. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you, in the domestic scene you played one of the kids. I think it was very good for you because you learned respect of performance. You know, I never had any problems with you sitting down, being quiet, but then you were always focused. I just think... That's what you had from an early age, the ability to get lost in what you were doing and focus deeply. Right. Lengthily. <laughs> when you were very small, you could sing back the overture <laughs> to 101 Dalmatians by Disney. Note perfect. And it's like a jazzy introduction. quite complex and you used to know it completely. You could probably still do it. That, so. that was like your party trick to so. blow the rallies away. Earliest memory of music is probably my mum playing Sade, that song Smooth Operator. Smooth Operator. Probably playing that in the kitchen and kind of dancing around a bit and going smooth operator and kind of doing this weird dance she does. She had all these tapes which were really great. I think she had definitely artists like Sade, Tina Turner. She loved really strong women from the 80s. Oh and she had a tape of the Grease soundtrack that she taped herself and cut out and pasted the picture and then the, the other side of the tape was like her handwriting in the text of the track listing and so I remember thinking that was something that she loved and so I loved it and her tape collection was kind of special because it was half like tapes that she'd bought but half of them were tapes that she'd taped and handwritten all the tracks. Well, I started playing saxophone in the school band which got me really into jazz music and then in high school I started learning the piano because I was all like, oh, saxophone's so lame. Like, oh, my God, I can't be seen dead in the school jazz band. That's so lame. So I started playing piano. Sarah was, used to make up her mind about things. You know, like all of a sudden in early high school, you said, I would like to learn classical piano. Then you went up the street to this lovely lady, Azalea, that taught you. And by the time you're in year 12, you're doing um, grade seven classical piano and because she's a lucky person <laughs> her grandmother oh, bought her a second-hand upright piano 
which was just heaven. Can you imagine Debussy and Chopin over and over again all through the house? She has been Sarah's benefactress all along, <laughs> and she's a wonderful woman. The most noble music teacher for me was probably my piano teacher in high school, a guy called Mikey, and he kind of signified everything that was exciting and cool and fresh and every week when I had a piano lesson with him it would kind of take me out of like my general boring life and I really liked that he kind of treated me like an adult. I think I'd never really felt like a teacher had valued my individuality as like a young adult and yeah he was really cool. With him I learned like Chopin um, he introduced me to Impressionism, like Debussy and Ravel and things like that, that ended up being kind of my favourite thing. I suppose for me, musically as a teenager, it, half of me was like, you know, the, the bands I listened to and, and that kind of stuff outside of school, but the other half was almost kind of academic, like I was doing classical grades and I was at the school in music scholarship, so there was, there was a pressure to kind of practice every week so I could stay at this school. It was definitely escape from like the kind of mundanity. I think a lot of teenagers, if they're being bullied, you know, if they're socially anxious, depressed, you know, if they're into music and they can be, find a music group or a music teacher that's really going to show them something, it's kind of like diversional therapy. It took me out of my own kind of sadness and confusion and really made me excited about stuff. Like, you know, you've got all these hormones like raging inside you and you have crushes on boys and, you know, like I wrote all these piano ballads when as a teenager. The first song I wrote, I wrote it on the piano. I wrote it about some guy in my maths class who I used to stare at the back of his head all lesson. And I played it actually on school music camp because a school music camp was this amazing one week of the year where all the really uncool kids got to be really cool for one week because all the cool kids weren't there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I played it at, you know, their talent quests and stuff and got all this applause and felt very special and I felt like a little bit of a rock star at music camp, yeah. So I moved to Sydney and knew... I only really knew one person and they introduced me to these two guys called Charles and Hamish that were like the same person. They were both tall, loud, crazy boys and I kind of became friends with them and they invited me out to their first gig as, as Flower Chuck. I think it was at the Captain Cook Hotel when that was still a thing and they said over the mic that they want a keyboard player. And so I just went up to them and said, hey, I'll do it if you want. And I convinced them to let me in. I started sunscreen with my best friend, Alex, who I'd met years ago when I first moved here. Um, he would come out to all the flytruck shows and we'd you know, go out and see bands together and stuff. Um, I kind of correct people when they call sunscreen a flower truck side project because it's not at all. It's a totally different band. And I'd never played guitar in a band or been the lead singer. And we, we were like friends for four years until we thought, oh, maybe we should start a band. And then it turned out to be okay.
My approach to writing lyrics is, is probably from a deeply personal place. I wrote all the lyrics for Voices in about five minutes in one go when I was really anxious and nervous and I really liked somebody but I couldn't do anything about it because I was kind of, you know, when you're kind of kicking yourself and you're angry at yourself and you're like, why, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Oh, that was so stupid. I was at a party at the surgery, this share house in Dulwich Hill, and I went into the bathroom with my phone and wrote the lyrics down in a few minutes. I think our generation is probably more anxious than any generation before because we just can't switch off from anything. And we're constantly evaluating ourselves because we're constantly seeing ourselves on social media. I mean, Voices isn't about social media, but I think that feeling of anxiousness that I'm writing about, you know, things like Instagram and Facebook, they don't, they don't help it. Sometimes social media can lead you to feel really critical of yourself when you don't need to be. I, um, I've always been a really anxious person and last year I finally got diagnosed with anxiety and all these things in my young adult life, all kind of, it all kind of made a bit more sense, you know. I mean, other people are battling way more than I am with anxiety, but I definitely have experienced at times severe anxiety, like panic attacks before and after shows at work. I also feel like, you know, it's a double-edged sword is what I'm saying because anxiety, anxiety is also like that because you, you kind of deny all these things you feel sometimes because you think, oh, but I'm fine, my life is fine. And that's what I said to myself for so many years. And then I finally realised it wasn't fine, that this, this thing that I kept saying to myself, oh, it's not, it's not a problem, it's not real, it was actually limiting me and affecting my life in a huge way. I think it's definitely impacted my songwriting a lot, for sure. I have experienced a feeling before after writing songs that are particularly dark or, you know, kind of depressing or angry that after I've written it, I, I feel this kind of weight lifted off my shoulders sometimes, as well as trying to make a song or a piece of art. It's also personally therapeutic and a coping tactic for yourself. I do compare myself to others a lot. I get pretty down about it because the music industry is fickle, you know, things come and go so quickly and it's also a hype machine, you know, with social media and everything. And so it's hard to kind of keep grounded sometimes. Um, I was listening to this Jen Cloas song that's on her new album called, it's a song called Shoegazers and one of the lyrics is, what's hot today is gone tomorrow, all you've got is your joy and your sorrow, which is kind of sums it up for me. As, as I suppose an artist and like if we're going to call it a profession, I think the end goal is turning it into something that you can live off financially because it's so almost impossible. It's not that I want to be rich or famous at all because I, I don't. It's more just like free time for me is a luxury now. Free time equals being able to write music, being able to see my friends. I, I don't have free time because I work every day to pay my rent and to live in Sydney. So I think if one day I was able to make even just a little bit of money off music, it would give me more free time to do things I love. Notes from Home is produced for FBI Radio. If you like what you heard today, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Holly Douse-Robinson with Jonathan Took as executive producer. 
Big ups to Grace Stranger and Nina Oyama, our associate producers, and with massive thanks to Sarah Sykes and Kerry O'Hearn, Music Farmers and FBI Radio. 